Hi everyone, my name is Saya and this is my podcast Hearsay, where I chat to musicians and other creative folks about their origin stories, their dreams and fears, their strangest show experiences and anything else that really comes up. Welcome to episode number 75. I hope you're all doing well. My guest on this podcast is Zach Olson from bands such as Traffic Island, Orb, Frowning Clouds and Herefants. And he has a new album out with Traffic Island called A Shrug of the Shoulders. The album just came out last week on November 19, and I've been really loving it. It's a playful album and reminds me a lot of Harry Nilsson, The Kinks, and Ween. Uh, so if you like those artists like I do, love actually, you should definitely go listen to A Shrug of the Shoulders by Traffic Island. We had a really nice remote chat about a month ago about everything from recording this record to Ozzy Osbourne and Marky Smith and a bit of equipment chat and playing to cows. Um, amongst other things, of course. Zach's strange show experience was illustrated by friend of the podcast and friend of mine, Tom Lincoln, who you might remember from episode number 27. He plays in bands such as The Nation Blue and Harmony and is an all-round legend. Turns out he can also pen an amazing illustration. Uh, as always, you can see all podcast illustrations on Instagram at Hearsay Podcast or on the Hearsay Facebook page. Thank you so much for listening. Leave me a review on iTunes. I would love that. Here is episode number 75 with Zach Olson. Let's start with a cheers. 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 to that. Yay. Clink. Bottoms up. How's your day been? It's been a good day. Thank you. I've just been um, up to all sorts, really. We, I made a scarecrow this morning. Um, what do you mean you made a scarecrow? <laughs> well, we have chickens and they've been, the eggs have been going missing. We thought they just oh. weren't laying. And then, yeah, and then I sort of... Started putting two and two together and realized there was a crow hanging around all the time, sort of around the time that they would usually be laying. And then yesterday, we ha- we also have a rooster who should be doing his job better, but yesterday he sort of started <laughs> doing a strange crow and, and I realized he was sort of trying to get my attention. And then I, look, <laughs> I looked over and the, the crow was up on top. And so I thought it might have been oh. him. And then today... As I was building the scarecrow, I walked in and found an egg and then took it out and put it on the top post, like on the fence post, and then turned around. And then as I turned back around again, the crow was flying away with the egg in its mouth. Oh, <gasps> prick. It somehow feels wrong for crows to eat chicken eggs. Yeah. I don't know why, but that feels like a, some kind of cannibalistic situation. It does feel weird. Situation. That's sort of what I thought was happening and my dad seemed to think otherwise and then here, here we are. I saw it. I saw him <laughs> flying away with the eggs. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you made a scarecrow. Made a scarecrow, and hopefully that works. I mean, they're pretty intelligent. We we got told by some of the farmers next door that if the crow watches you build the scarecrow, then 
they'll know that it's not a real person. It's on to you. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yes. Should have put a little blindfold on the crow. Yeah, totally. Oh, if I can get my hands on that crow, <laughs> I'll tell you what. <laughs> Where are you living? You said you just moved? Yeah, we moved to Wattlebank, which is, it's not really even a town. It's just a sort of a dairy farm suburb. But the closest town would be Inverloch. It's sort of like the South Gippsland area, sort of Okay. on the the eastern side of the bay. Lovely. That sounds beautiful. Yeah, it's really nice. It's a nice change from the last two years in the city and sort of just waiting. I just felt like we're in limbo for two years and so it's good to come out yeah. here and actually be able to put some action into it and, you know, just make things happen for yourself rather than in the city. I felt like totally. it was always relying on someone else's decision. Yes. And so are you planning on recording a lot out there and... Yeah, that's the plan eventually. I mean, we moved in here. My my girlfriend and I moved in here. My dad's here at the moment and he's going to drive around Australia for a year come December. Cool. And then so we're just going to yeah, clear out the lounge room and set up instruments and and go for it, which will be nice. Does your girlfriend make music as well? Yeah, yeah. She's going to sing on the next Traffic Island album. Which would be nice. Oh, amazing. It would be a nice break because I, c- I can't stand singing anymore. So <laughs> Why is that? I don't know. Unless it's karaoke. You've got singing fatigue. Yeah, I like <laughs> I like karaoke. For some reason, I, f- I feel really comfortable doing karaoke. I don't know what it is. <laughs> What's uh, your song? Um, I'm a, I'm a karaoke crooner. So anything, uh, any Frank, Frank Sinatra or Lee Hazelwood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that kind of stuff I like doing, but. When yeah. I try and put that into my own music, I just can't do it for some reason. Do you think it's because you're sort of putting on a character when you're doing karaoke and then it's harder to not feel like a tool when you're doing it for yeah. yourself? It's To be honest, I think it's even the other way. I feel like I'm... <laughs> I feel really natural <laughs> when I'm doing karaoke. Like uh, <laughs> If I get my songs, I feel, I feel great about it. And I, I, even when I'm doing it, I'm like, why can't I do this when it's... A Traffic Island gig or an orb gig or something. It's like, I don't know why. Well, I feel like you have a great voice and I feel like it's very you, like all the stuff that I've heard of yours. Yeah, it has like a real through line of, of something that sounds very much recognisable. That's um, good. As your voice. Through yeah. line. Through line's a good word. That's sort of, yeah, that's like the missing word I've tried to, <laughs> <laughs> tried to find a bunch of times. Yeah, I mean, there's a, I feel like there's a through line between with like lots of music that I listen to, even though the genres are all over the place. And but I can't, you know, describe exactly what it is that ties all the things I like together. But you know, I'm, I don't know. I don't find something like MF Doom to be that far away from Captain Beefheart or something like to my ears. Oh yeah, I can see that in a backing track sense, maybe. Yeah, yeah. There's there's something something there. I don't know what it is, but. Yeah, it's interesting the through lines that go between everyone's music, music taste. What started you getting into music? Like, did you grow up in a very musical household? Did you, did you ever have a moment where you thought this is what I want to do with my life, or this is my passion? Um. Well, I, yeah, I did grow up in a pretty musical household. We grew up on a farm in New Zealand with, yeah, with my family, obviously, <laughs> and um, my dad was in heavy metal bands and stuff like that growing up so 
Wow. They would have rehearsal all the time in the wool shed and just doing like thrash covers like Megadeth and Metallica and stuff. I would have been five or six. Oh, my God. So, so yeah, as, as like a five-year-old, that's like the coolest thing ever. And Dad's singer could do backflips. I always remember that. And like, so. <laughs> What the fuck? Like from a standstill? Yeah, yeah. So everyone was doing solos and he wow. had nothing to do and he'd just do backflips. And, and <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that's... Yeah, as a, as a kid, I That's was like... incredibly impressive. You were like, I'm either going to play thrash metal or I'm going to be a gymnast. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Dad really wanted me to be a gymnast for some reason. He was really? Always, he was always kind of trying to push that idea. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I grew up with that, but then I didn't really think about it for a long time. And um, But I did like Megadeth lots when I was a little kid because they had really cool video clips. Yeah scary stuff yeah right? yeah just they, like they were quite like confrontational yeah it was just kind of yeah i mean at the time it seemed confrontational now when i look at them again it's like so cheaply made and yeah it's just, <laughs> it's just dudes with skull masks on and stuff but yeah but yeah so i thought that was really cool but i didn't think about music for years until um maybe year seven or eight or something and there was just a like a punk documentary on sbs and um, mm-hmm. and Sex Pistols would came on, and they were and Megadeth used to cover Anarchy in the UK, and so and so I knew the song from somewhere in my, you know, in my past, and then it all sort of collided there, and, and then plus that whole like era of the Vines and the White Stripes and stuff, I was like, oh yeah, year seven, grade six, so it was kind of like, let's all be rock stars. <laughs> But I I also think like with people like the White Stripes and stuff and the Vines even, I feel like those bands made it seem quite accessible. Yeah, I mean, I I think that everyone had the same feeling with grunge in the 90s. Like suddenly it was just like, oh, that seems like something I could do. Yeah, maybe for sure. It looks easier than like, you know, Jerry Rafferty or like. It looks easier than 10cc. <laughs> yeah, all of that stuff. Uh, that was a big thing. Like all the, all the music I got into around that age was always because I felt like I could do it. So that's why I was always leaning towards punk or 60s garage yeah. and stuff. Especially, it was just like, ah, oh, you don't even have to play in tune, and it can be awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just put heaps of reverb on everything. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> yes, yeah. I went through that stage. <laughs> so obviously like you can definitely hear that influence is a major thing in all of your music Mm -hmm. do you remember the band that made you obsessed with that sound was it your dad's record collection or no my dad was never really into the 60s stuff i know my grandma got me like that beatles number one cd oh yeah when i was maybe 12 or something so i remember singing all those songs back in new zealand Growing up in New Zealand, they at school assembly, they would hold up big sheets of paper with all the lyrics to old pop songs and the whole school would just sing them. And so you never really knew what you were singing. But I remember singing all these Beatles songs like Eight Days a Week and Love Me Do and stuff. But I never knew that was the Beatles. And then until my grandma bought me the CD and then all those songs are on it. And I was like, I know all these songs already. But, That's great. But still the Beatles kind of had this untouchable vibe. That I couldn't really connect with. But then the Kinks was the one that was really like Yeah, I yes. could I could understand a little bit. I mean, still not really. I don't know how how Ray Davies had the foresight to sort of 
do that. But, but yeah, that, it seemed like a, I don't know, you know, suburban music or like working man's music or something I could understand a bit yeah, more. Yeah, and, and I guess like a lot of the early kink stuff has that really sort of simplistic riff. Mm-hmm. They're so riff driven while the Beatles are much more melody driven. Yeah. But then like, you know, obviously then like Waterloo Sunset and Autumn Almanac and all of those yeah. types of songs are just like, how the fuck do they, how do you, how do you write a song like that? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. That's, it's magical. It's even more, I mean, that stuff's aged so well. Yeah. I, yeah. Of all those sort of British invasion bands, their stuff has aged the the best. Yeah. It's, especially something like Waterloo Sunset it sounds like it could be from today that song is still gives me the shivers even after i've heard it a thousand times oh yeah it's a good one i always really loved autumn almanac because it sounded like 10 songs in one song see i never really got into that song and then my friend jake like uh who i played with in hereford's and well not he just taught me how to play it on guitar i was just like have you ever noticed how weird those chords are and then and then we started playing along and i was like whoa Okay, it's like a quite yeah. quite the song. <laughs> so many chords as oh, well. It's out of control. So yeah. many chords. <laughs> it's just like eight songs stuck together or Yeah. Isn't that great where you don't you don't really realise it when you're listening to a song like that that it's breaking rules until you try and learn it and you're like, What the f- how do you write this? <laughs> yeah. What what's like something I really like about them as well, it's almost comes from a place of naivety or something like but at the same time, it's not. It's masterful. But if you, you know, if you showed, mm. if you showed like Bert Bacharach those chords or something, he'd be like, "This is all wrong. You're not allowed to do this." Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's like they did it because they didn't know any better, and then it, in doing that, it turns into this innovative thing. That's right. I always think that people that don't study music can come up with more interesting yeah. arrangements and interesting chord structures because they have no idea what you're meant to go to yeah yeah i would say i'd say on average that's that is the case but then there is yeah then there's some genius people that totally yeah frank zappers and ellis coltrane and these kind of it's just like yeah those people (laughs) are just geniuses and can do it all yeah or maybe i'm just trying to make myself feel better that i'm like i'm not trained and i'm (laughs) i can come up with interesting things (laughs) yeah (laughs) have you ever had lessons um, yeah, I had just like basic guitar lessons in high school. Um, and he just taught me like instrumental, like the shadows and that kind of stuff, which yeah. was really fun, but never, yeah. never really anything. Um, you know, no, no theory really. I mean, I'd practice a little bit by myself and like go over some theory books if I'm really feeling it, but. Usually I just like playing and recording and yeah, I've spent all my music time just write, writing songs really. So not really learning yeah. how to, not, yeah, not learning scales or methods or not really learning to solo really well or anything. I just liked, liked writing. And were you always recording at home? Um, Yeah, a little, yeah. It was something I actually didn't really take up. Uh, as quick as the rest of my friends but yeah sort of out of necessity as well and sometimes some songs it's just easier to not have to teach everyone and although having said that most of the time when I'm playing with people they make up stuff that 
I like more now than I could make anyway. So, <laughs> which I've experienced heaps with the Traffic Island band. I mean, I would have an idea in my head, yeah. and then I'd just suggest something, and then they just do it way better than I could. I was going to ask you who was in your band because I've been listening to your third LP. Ah, uh, yes. Um, this is not going to come out until it's released, I think. Yep. Um, and I was wondering, like, the who plays piano on it? The piano is so amazing. Um, that's um Jesse Williams of Girl Atones fame, and also plays with Leah Senior and yeah, right. Recorded her last album, and he recorded this album as well. Right, and I can imagine that from someone who doesn't play piano like that, it would be such an asset to have that kind of vibe in your band. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. I mean, we used to play as a three-piece without Jesse and then um, because we were living with him and he had the day off work and I just asked him if he would like to sit in on a song or something and yeah, I can just remember the first, as soon as he started playing, we we're all just like, oh yes, we sound like a band now. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, tell me a little bit about the about writing this LP. Um, I think I, I was reading that you wanted to be a bit like freewheeling in mm-hmm. its intentions. Yes. Um, did you record it and write it quite quickly or what was the, what, how did it come together? Um, well, no, it's, it's really spaced out. Some of the songs would be, oh, some of the songs are written, you know, up to three years ago or something. And I would say maybe half the albums recorded in late 2019. And then the other half was done at the start of this year. It was supposed to come out quickly after the after Nature's Trip, the first one. And then for whatever reason, it didn't. I didn't think I was very happy with it or something. And then I ended up doing a detour and doing that Peanut Butter Traffic Jam album with the, all the electronic yes. stuff. I've been listening to that a bunch. It's so great. Oh, nice. Thank you. Well, yeah, I mean, I just ended up doing that one and just out of, I don't know, out of necessity or something, you know, it's just easier to, to do that one by myself. And I sort of felt like I was starting to get on a roll with it. So I just kept going and did, ended up doing that one in the meantime. Yeah. And then I went back to the, those old songs and then they sounded better than I remembered. And then um, Jamie, like Sublation, who takes the photos and he'd made the album cover. He just said, you know, I really want you to finish the rest of it. I want to hear the rest of it. So I just sort of decided to do that. And it sounded better than you thought it might. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had to write a couple more songs and... And stuff so I mean yeah it's really spaced out the the interesting thing is though although some of the songs are the oldest I mean like quite old 2019 one of them was you know written this year and recorded this year and then which is the first one that was released that acoustic one but yeah. it, it's kind of the quickest turnaround I've ever had for a song right was that all all the money in the world yeah was that that song but that was like written quite recently and recorded like just before I had to send it to the label, really. So, and then now that it's the first one out, it's I've never had a, a song sort of being written and recorded and come out that quickly. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's nice. I mean, it's still longer than I would like, but I mean, it's not yeah. like two years or something like usual. I know. I've just finished recording an album. It, it was just mastered a couple of weeks ago, and I feel like it might come out in 2025. Mm. Yeah, you know, I just feel like I can't. I don't know when it's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty torturous. It's it's hard to um. Yeah. Hard to do it sometimes. Hard to find the 
the inspo or the other day i recorded one and just thought i just can't i don't want to wait around for it so i just put it on like just release it as an instagram post like just yeah just great. put it on that i was like i don't know i just wish there was a way to to do that and people would still listen to it legitimately but unfortunately yeah. you put it up as an instagram post and then people scroll past it like it's an instagram post yeah <laughs> i know it's really hard. Do you ever think about content or like en- engagement with fans over social media or other avenues? Nah, I mean, no, nah, not at all. And I'm probably suffering for it, but I really wanted to get off all that stuff. And then I have an album just coming out now. And I sort of realize it's how I get in touch with people and sell my records. And Yeah. But it's something I really don't want to have anything to do with and why not do you get anxious when you look at that stuff no I don't get anxious I probably just get more like disgusted (laughs) yeah (laughs) angry yeah (laughs) I just can't because the thought crossed my mind when I wanted to delete my Instagram I thought oh but what about my band or whatever and then and that just felt real ridiculous thinking that like in what world do you have to have a social media to have a band I just really wanted to not do that whatsoever in this world, yeah. unfortunately. Well, that's it. I'm, <laughs> I'm building my own world. Never everyone's invited, but it's, I'm not going to that I'm one in. anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I feel the same way. I find it really funny to think about things like that. And I also find it incredibly gross to think about trying to hustle people and trying to get people to engage yeah. um, as an actual goal. Yeah. You know, like if people engage, that's nice, but... I I find the planning of it all really <laughs> disturbing. Yeah, it's just it's just because it is. It just, it's just yeah. But at the same time, just I also think if you just keep making things, you know, people will like it. And like I don't have yeah. I don't have a huge audience or anything, or I don't play big shows. But you know, there's just like the, I'm always selling records to the same same people. And I, I like yeah. that. It's really, you know, they're really enthusiastic about it. And so Yeah, those people are amazing. Those people are gems. Yeah, it's fine by me. If I can just keep doing that, yeah. it's all good. Well, let's talk about playing live because I'm really interested. I've never seen you play live before, but I watched um, like a video where you were playing in a room with a tape machine and a keyboard player and he looked like he had an MS-20 and realistic and oh. you had a little maybe like a midi keyboard and an op1 oh uh, yes and that situation excited me what was that about um well that was with i'm assuming that was with uh daff who i played I mean, like most of my bands have been with daff he's in like we played in Herefins together and orb together and frowning clouds and yeah and um that was just something to do because um yeah, because Orb weren't playing live at the time for whatever reason and Traffic Island weren't either. So we just did something to be able to, you know, yeah. play live, make some money. And so, yeah, that was that's really fun. That was, and just being totally free and sort of improv with it. Just like, yeah, filling a desk up with noise machines and, and sort of just ag- yeah. agreeing on a tempo and a key and then going for it. And sometimes it was disastrous, but some of, them, some of them were really really fun and i wish we recorded them and stuff but how do you normally play live um you, in traffic islands normally it's with the full band just like 
rock format, like two guitars, bass and drums mm-hmm. and sometimes keys. And yeah, I'll play solo if if I have to or if I feel like it. But there's been too many times where I'll accept a solo gig and then when it's coming up, I just, yeah, I don't know. You bail? I, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I never bail. I've never bailed. But... <laughs> But yeah, sometimes I'm just like, why did I do this? I totally relate to that. What's your relationship like with backing tracks? I'm okay with them. I feel like I've, I'm trying to think. I feel like I've done it. Actually, I did one show. Yeah, it was sort of a during the last sort of slightly opened Melbourne. During that period, there was a um, I played with this band, Mystery Guest. I used backing tracks that night. So it was only a, a three song set that was being live streamed. So. So yeah, I just used backing tracks then and it had a microphone and that was real fun. That's like karaoke. Yeah, it was That's like your karaoke. Vibe. Exactly. I felt actually really comfortable. <laughs> I was like, oh, I can get used to this. <laughs> I felt like I was covering great. covering my own songs or something and then I could get into the right frame of mind. <laughs> get croony. Mm-hmm. I remember my first gigs by myself, I had backing track on a little iPod and I would have like the drums on one side and the instrumental on the other side and mm-hmm. then I then the mixer could like mix them however they wanted yeah nice and I always felt like I was cheating having a backing track on an iPod mm-hmm. but now I have like Ableton and a MIDI controller and I feel like I, I'm cheating less uh, than yeah. <laughs> it's just like all about the equipment it's, yeah it's all about the illusion it's all about the optics I mean yeah, yeah. I, I've I've seen backing track gigs that it's been really obvious. But then I've seen others yeah. where I didn't even, I almost didn't even realize that they were, you know, yeah. just because it's, they're just good. They're just doing it and the performance is there and everything. Yeah. So, so, yeah, sometimes you don't, don't notice at all. It's worse when they're trying to pretend they're not doing it. I mean, I, you know, I won't name yeah. names, but there are bands that, <laughs> that do that and I'm, I'm shocked. I know for a fact that rock bands yeah. have a lot of backing track when they tour oh, arenas. Yeah. Surprising. It's it is crazy. It's very surprising. That's a classic example of people would never know unless they knew. Yeah, when I went to see Black Sabbath, there was a just a keyboard solo from out of nowhere. There's yeah. just like four people on stage with no keyboards. <laughs> <laughs> it's like someone's just <laughs> under the stage or in the green room or something. Yes. It's pretty funny. (laughs) (laughs) That's so great. Well, like, can we talk about Black Sabbath? Because I feel like that band has been a big influence on Orb in particular. Mm -hmm. Did that come from your dad? Yeah, for sure. I feel like I can remember hearing like Sweet Leaf in the womb and stuff. Like I just, that's like, (laughs) (laughs) that riff is real constant. It just like reminds me so much of the house I grew up in in New Zealand. I don't know. Yeah, that's just always been a band that both my mum and dad love my mom's not really into music that much but for some reason just loves black sabbath and and yeah i just remember always growing up and she was like if black sabbath ever come to melbourne i'll buy you a ticket and we'll go together and then sure enough they did and we got to go which was awesome what year was that um there was the year it wasn't their very last one it was the year before or maybe the year before that so i'm trying to think how was ozzy's voice it was yeah it was great it was really good he kept um awesome. The only the only gripe I had was the drummer. He was too um, you know, too music school and adding all these double kicks right. and stuff that wasn't there. And especially because you know Bill Ward wanted to do it, but for whatever reason, 
they wouldn't let him. Oh no, I didn't know that. I think yeah, money or it's always something like that. But but yeah. I do do you remember every maybe five or six songs Ozzy Osbourne would just pour a whole bucket of water over himself, and then <laughs> I found out apparently it's because he has a really bad bladder and would piss himself all the time, and so what? So he had to pour this bucket of water himself to cover up the <laughs> the pee stains. <laughs> Which I don't know if that's true, but wow. I like believing those kind of things because it makes the world a more interesting place. I kind of love that. Mm-hmm. Wasn't there a show where Marky Smith pissed himself and it was like in the enemy and it was like a really big deal? Maybe Ozzy saw that and was like, oh, I better, better get some yeah. water on stage. Yeah, true. That doesn't surprise me about Marky Smith. No, poor dude. Mm. He was great though. Yeah. Did you ever see The Fall? No, I never did. Did you? Yeah. Luckily got to see them in... Yeah, they played at Melbourne Music Week. Um, oh wow! Maybe four or five years ago. It was good. It was one of the loudest gigs I've ever seen. I can say that. Cool. It was really cool, and he had like he must have had an infrared microphone or something back in the green room because the band came it came out and they played for ten minutes or so, and you could just hear this like rambling coming from nowhere, just like just like what the hell is going? And then he just sort of walks out from. The back door and like he's just mumbling as he walks on stage and <laughs> yeah he was it was just real funny this sort of marky smith like voice of god over the pa everyone looking around real confused and yeah, it was funny <laughs> that's so great <laughs> i always feel like people that know what backstage is think about that backstage area in a very different way to people <laughs> who don't know what backstage is oh yeah um when all were playing with um king gizzard in sydney a few years ago, it was in a bigger, like a bigger gizzard venue. I can't, maybe the Metro, I think. And, um, mm. and all were just sitting in our room and it was just like this tiny little concrete cell really. And we'd just finished. And so we're just sitting there all sweaty and stinky. And like, it's really, you know, like you say, it's, it's not special back there. And so we're just sitting there. Yeah. And then these two girls like bust into the room and they're like, oh yes, we made it. And they came in and they're just... <laughs> It was so funny to look on their like, faces. Yeah, gross. exactly. They're just like <laughs> looking at us. It's all like sweaty and yeah, it's, it's not not nice. Sitting on milk crates. Yeah, and <laughs> it was funny. And yeah, Daff was just like, yeah, you made it. Like now what? And uh, it was just so funny. And they just slowly back out of the room. <laughs> yeah, we've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> so going back to your your record. I mean, it all sounds quite retro in a way. But do you do that on purpose? Do you feel like you want to make yourself sound like you are from a different time? No, that's it's really a funny thing. Like, I mean, with that record, Jesse does record to tape. But when I record myself, I don't do that that at all, really. I just, it's like 100% digital. And I don't even try to make it sound old. Um, But I just think maybe just because it's what I've listened to so much or it's how I play or something. But mm. personally, I'm sort of in the frame of mind that a lot of that stuff's a bit of a myth, like having to have certain gear to sound a certain way and stuff. Most of the time, people just don't play it like how they, you know, it's it's like, how do I sound like Keith Moon or something? It's just like, well, rather than get the microphone to use, just try and imagine yourself playing like that or something i honestly don't try and make it sound old i just 
make it sound how I think it should or how I like it. Yeah, it's funny. Like my friend Jamie, the photographer, he said that. He was like, I don't know why you do everything digitally and it always sounds like it's on tape. And I'm not sure why that's the case. And yeah. I couldn't even give him an answer. I was like, I just don't. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. To me, it didn't even sound like it's on tape, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you because I was listening to, uh, yeah, like I said, I've been listening a lot to the Peanut Butter Traffic Jam record mm-hmm. and the arpeggiator on Seafood Extender sounds very analog to me. That's funny. No, it, that's... Is it analog? No, no, that's just it's like... It's all in the box. Crappy MIDI. That album yeah. specifically is that's just... great really crap midi stuff yeah and then the drums are just i mean i play a lot of the drums on it but just loop it heaps but that's just yeah also just a you know crappy 57 ripoff going into the interface and nothing else really it's just sort of all that's great done in post that's awesome i think that's really inspirational for people that want to make any kind of music you can yeah. make it sound however you want totally yeah that's like one big illusion that you have to get something, a certain piece of gear or to be able to do something. That's just like such a consumerist, wrong-headed way of thinking about it. I think if you really want to make stuff, you just do it anyway. Like, you know, if the only instrument you have is a harmonica, then you'll be making a harmonica album if you if you yeah. feel the need to have to yeah. make something. You could make a kick drum on a harmonica if you really wanted to. Yeah, I'm I'm, he- <laughs> I'm hearing it now. Can you tell me about your rap album that you made? Uh yeah. Yeah, I did I did that with a friend of mine, Sheldon, and he he like I met him at a Gizzard and Orb show in Atlanta. And um yeah, he heard the Peanut Butter album and he just asked like I didn't, I didn't know him at all, sort of thing. And then he just was like, "Hey, I'd like to do some bars over like some stuff on the Peanut Butter record," which obviously intrigued me. And then I just thought, well, I know I have like some other beats that I've made, and just sent him that. And then I just snowballed and we're just like, let's just try and do a whole album. That's so great. He's he's amazing. Yeah, he's great. He's like a he's been like a huge influence. Not on me like not necessarily musically although he has been but just in like so many other things just life lessons it's he's really the man it's it's crazy like what kind of life lessons what's he taught you um he's just really really onto it like really intelligent and he's starting to become a lawyer and he just has this crazy um i shouldn't say crazy i don't like that word but he has this yeah, just real original view of the world and just like never ceases to sort of surprise me with his outlook and his opinions. And That's lovely. What a good friend to have. Totally. It just really made me, reminded me that like don't ever assume someone is a certain way because of who they are or where they come from. Or That's so cool. And also like so great that you're open to collaboration with people that, you know, you've met over the other side of the world. and Yeah, I'll play with play with anyone like maybe don't say that publicly on a (laughs) podcast (laughs) well i mean there was a there's a band here that play at the the farmer's markets there's like three like maybe three 70 year olds and they get up and do kind of jazz standards but they're sort of really simplified and the lead person does all the melody on a recorder and stuff but they didn't have a drummer so I like gave them my number and was like, please, if you need a drummer, like I'd love to come and do this every <laughs> Sunday. But 
I still haven't heard a reply. So. <laughs> Damn it. Maybe you were too keen. Yeah. A bit out of the age bracket too, I think. Or I don't know. <laughs> I feel like if they were in their 30s, I'd be like, oh, I don't know about this. But yeah. because they're in their 70s, they love it. Yeah. And then also also out here, it's like um, you're not exactly spoiled for choice for people to play with. And yeah. I mean, I'm sort of on the weekends when my dad's not working and stuff. We're just jamming old rock classics and stuff all the time. Which is fun. It's Aww. fun. It's fun to play with dad again. What are your go-tos with your dad? Um, just you know anything Sabbath or anything in that kind of realm or Megadeth and all the <laughs> yeah, just all the all the classic stuff. You know, Pink Floyd and all that stuff. Where you Aww. can just sort of be like guitar music because he's a guitar player. So. Yes. Yeah. You're mainly a guitar player, aren't you? Yeah. Or you like to play drums as well? Uh, yeah, I do like to play drums lots. It was the first instrument I played, but so I'm like, I feel more in touch with rhythm and that kind of thing i'm just really out of practice like i don't really have the the physical side of it down anymore you know i'm out in the country now i can play all the time for me that's the funnest one and like i'll listen to drums and stuff first when i'm hearing a song but yeah i'm probably more practiced on the guitar i'd be i feel more comfortable playing with anyone on the guitar how close is your closest neighbor um well the closest neighbor is actually quite close ish i mean maybe 200 meters away or something but they it's an old dutch farmer couple who also own the house that we live in okay so they used to live here and then they built the house like 100 200 meters away and then moved into that one it's awesome because you know we like share there's like a paddock in between us that has all their cows on it so cows absorb a lot of sound yeah they (laughs) love the music it's I mean, I'm sorry, I, I just realized you were joking then, but they, <laughs> they do really love music. It's crazy. If you stand outside playing, they just all grab, like, they'll all stop and look and then walk towards really? the fence. Yeah, it's really strange. You could, like, pretend they're a big crowd of people. Yeah, oh, well, that's, I've way ahead of you. I've, I've, <laughs> I've played to the cows before. It's, it's great. <laughs> they, um, good audience. They've, yeah, they're so, <laughs> like interactive it's do you feel like they react when you change vibes or do they they're sort of just chill through the whole set i haven't put in i haven't put into the test yet and the vibe stays the same it's just i usually just go into like corny country mode and just make up silly country songs and stuff but oh that's the best yeah i feel like that's a good cow vibe silly Mm -hmm. country song yeah i feel like your um your record is very it's not I mean, it's slightly silly in the best possible way, if I can say that as a compliment. Mm-hmm. But it really reminds me of like Harry Nelson or Ween or that sort of really playful lyric yeah. um, Excellent. music Love it. that I'm a massive fan of. That's that's exactly it. it was a, I mean, definitely Nelson and um, like uh, Randy Newman and that sort of stuff in like early 70s kinks. It's kind of like yeah. show tuney and... Yeah, I really like that yeah. stuff. I mean, it puts people off heaps, but for me personally, I love I love the humor and I don't know. And me you don't, too. It doesn't have to be like so sexy and cool and stuff all the time. That's like no, just turn, turn, all angry and all that. It all just turns me off heaps. And I think funny is cool. Yeah, that's just like it's just a character. That's a through line that I like in um, mm-hmm. I like in music. It's not that you're not taking it serious. You are taking it seriously, but. For me personally, I don't connect as much when I'm hearing like real Dear Diary type lyrics or 
Mm. And you can still sing about whatever, you know, politics or whatever, or how you feel about the day with by saying jokes and stuff like that. Or For sure. And I think that the concepts that are on this album, like animals doing human things, which I loved, and fuck this universe is like <laughs> really relatable as well. You know, you don't have to talk about like your absolute deepest fears or darkest secrets to yeah. connect with people. I think these are like really relatable, tongue-in-cheek, funny ideas. Yeah. Hey, I want to ask you my last question, which is the question that I ask everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell me what is your strangest show experience or the strangest thing that's happened to you because you're a musician? Well, it's always, it's always strange. And every... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, even just being, anytime being overseas and stuff, it's happened numerous times while on stage, just being like, what the hell am I doing here? Yeah. Especially it's like some of the gigs opening for Gizzard and stuff where you're playing in giant venues in, I don't know, London or something. It's You always have those little like, well, this is strange kind of moments. But oh, yeah. I would have to say, probably with Herefins, we played at um, Daft's Nephew's primary school his nephew asked the principal just on his own accord i can't remember how it happened and then we just all said yes we'll do it and then so we just went and played at yeah this primary school assembly and that yeah that was that was definitely one of like (laughs) the most nervous gigs i've had it was really yeah just like hundreds of these primary school kids you know kids they don't like kids don't do bullshit they like can see through everything and so it's yeah. just, yeah, like all these <laughs> children's eyes looking at you. It's like, yeah, you can't. Did they like it? Um, They didn't like it or dislike it. They all sort of just <laughs> stayed the same. Like, I felt like they, they clapped because they were sort of told to. It wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. It was. So that was probably one of the weirdest ones. So I have some follow up questions. So mm-hmm. when you were playing to the kids. Mm hmm. Were you expecting them to like it? Like, did you go out thinking this is going to be interesting and the kids might go crazy or? Um, I'm not sure really. I think because it was Herefins and especially with Herefins at the time, we were just trying to make like, yeah, I don't know, we were just making wacky music for the sake of it all. It was definitely not yeah. stuff that you can like clap to. And, and so I sort of, I think I knew yeah. that. And I was like, I think this is going to be extra weird in front of all these kids. <laughs> <laughs> do you think any of the teachers liked it hmm if they did none of them said anything <laughs> <laughs> do you think that the principal knew you before like knew what you sounded like before you played no i don't think so at all no i mean <laughs> i i think that could have even been before the first herefins album was out maybe i can remember really vividly like looking at kids and them just being really nonplussed. Like <laughs> it was real intimidating. <laughs> if I'm going to be I honest. Bet. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for telling me that story. That's okay. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast. That's all good. Thank you for having yeah, me. Yeah. Love chatting to you. Yes. Likewise. It's been fun. Likewise.